Welcome to the Profit Cash Growth Podcast. This is the podcast for six and seven figure business owners who are looking to grow a financially successful business. My co-host, Claire Hancock, is a finance director, chartered accountant, and entrepreneur. And every week, I'll be exploring guidance and frameworks designed to help you increase your profits, improve your cash flow, and grow your business. On the podcast this week, we discuss why is the body shop in distress? And we ask the ultimate question for business owners looking to exit their business. Do you want the cash or do you just want out? Hi, Claire, and welcome to another week of the podcast. How are you? Yeah, very good. Thank you, Simon. How are you? Good, good. I am very well. I am very well indeed. Shall we dive straight into this week's news story? Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Actually, before we do the news, somebody last week did ask, why are you an authority that should be listened to on this podcast? Perhaps you can quickly, quickly explain that, Claire. That'd be great. Oh, God, talk about putting me on the spot here. I don't think I'm one of those people that does like blowing my own trumpet and it makes me feel incredibly uncomfortable. Um, so, yeah, I am a chartered accountant. So I am SEMA qualified. Um, and SEMA is, although it is an accountancy qualification, actually only about a third of it covers um, financial aspects. And it's actually much more about running a business and strategy. So you study marketing, HR, IT, um, and just general strategy and how to effectively run and grow a business. So yeah, I have run my own businesses for a number of years. And I've also worked in the corporate world. The last company that I worked at, we had just over 200 million um, operations in the UK, Europe, and we were buying companies as well. So yeah, very experienced in all things business. Fantastic. And now you obviously run Profit Cash Growth, which helps um, uh, six and seven figure business owners to grow their business using the numbers, ideally, as the platform to springboard them to further growth. Yeah, that's what I do now. Great, great. And just to avoid the question that's inevitably going to come from a listener next week, I also am a small business owner. Um, I run uh, an estate agency that has grown from a standing start seven years ago to market leading in their town today. I've also grown during that time a multi-million pound property portfolio. Um, and again, um, uh, I help as well with Claire and the Profit Cash Growth business. So again, between us, we uh, we get exposed to a lot of very interesting things. And we're here to help um, sort of educate and uh, inform people on what we see day to day. Anyway, let's do the news again. So this week, I've picked the news story of the week, which actually um, dropped, uh, I think it was last night, the body shop, interesting one, the body shop going into administration. And I thought I'd pick it because I wanted to ask a few different questions um, really about, about the body shop. First of all, what is administration, Claire? Perhaps you could start that. And how does that differ from something, a, a term that I often hear called liquidation? What what are those two different things? Oh, that's a really good question. So administration and liquidation, they're often used um, interchangeably, but they are very different processes. So when a company goes into administration, it is a legal process whereby essentially um, a official liquidation company, this is where the confusion comes in because you have a, an appointed liquidator who goes in to administrate the company. And that means that essentially the liquidator takes over the company um, and runs it on a day-to-day basis. And they normally have a period of eight weeks to put together a recovery proposal. So 
normally administration is triggered by a um a creditor so normally a bank or somebody like that where um the business has defaulted and they will ask an administrator to go in to see if the business can be rescued so the administrator will go in come up with a growth plan and that often involves some sort of debt restructuring um potentially um re-agreeing key terms in for example property contracts um anything like that nothing is off the table when it comes to administration but the aim of administration is to save the company and to put it back into being a profitable going concern whereas when you are liquidating a company you are winding up a company and trying to get as much cash out at the end to pay any debts that are owed okay so uh, so for the layman's out there i guess administration is the first step of the demise of a particular company and that can go one or two ways you know you could see that uh, result in in a rescue or a restructure that works for the business or it could move further into liquidation and therefore you're just trying to dispose of the business in the most um, manageable fashion you can. Yeah, and administration, whilst, of course, you know, no business should end up in administration, the reality is is that a lot of big businesses go in and out of administration quite a lot, actually. Um, and quite a lot of big businesses do recover from administration because the uh, the debts that will be owed to institutions like banks and stuff are so great that it's within the lender's favour to agree the restructuring proposal that's put forward by the administration in both instances. So I think that's also, um, there's been some criticism of the company that bought Body Shop actually to say that, you know, they they bought Body Shop. Did they buy Body Shop with the intention of doing this? They put it into administration and you've kind of, you've got the, the lender's arm behind your back. What are they going to do? If they don't agree to your restructuring plan, then they're not going to get any money back. Yeah, I often so, I often hear this about um, the way that companies are bought to be stripped of their assets and various things like that. So um, um, just to pick up a few stats here about the Body Shop that I wrote down, which I thought was interesting. They've got 199 stores. They've got 2,000 staff. Um, they cited un- unable to pay its bills as a very broad statement there. Uh, sales slipped from £275 million in 2021 to £197 million in 2022. That is just an absolutely staggering drop in top line um, uh, top line revenue. And uh, Aurelius, Aurelius, I think that's the way you pronounce it, they bought them three years ago to again try and turn them around, but have basically failed. So, um, yeah. What do you do in that instant, Claire? I mean, structural decline of a top line. I mean, is that only going in one direction or? Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because obviously it was, I think it was either December 23 or January 24, and they um, announced that they were doing away with the um, the home selling model, um, a little bit like the Avon sellers where they would um, have body shop oh, yeah. at home products. So they announced that as well. But I think this is, very typical actually of what we're seeing on the high street at the minute is that there is such a shift in consumer behavior um i was listening to another podcast a newscast um and there was an msp on there um not sure if I'm saying this guy's name properly, so I do apologise, but um, Anasawar, um, and he referred to, um, we've all heard of the cost of living crisis, but he actually referred to the cost of business crisis at the moment with high street, um, the cost of having a high street location in terms of the rent and the rates and utilities, et cetera. I mean, Body Shop actually only make 50% gross margin anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. They've got 200 shops. That's low for retail. I mean, I don't, whenever I watch people talking about retail margins, you know, they're talking about you know significantly more than that in order to absorb all of the yeah. costs of running a business and especially when you're that size your bottom line revenues are so wafer thin that you need to be making a good gp at that that level yeah it's really low gross margin um and 
well, it's not really low because actually you can get by in a retail shop with sort of 50, 60% margin. That's not that unusual, but yeah, ideally you need to be at around 70%. Otherwise you are going to have some issues, but I think, um, it's one of the, I'd say most of these businesses fail because they have a, a, a lack of a proper marketing strategy. I mean, who, who is body shop for these days? I'm not mm. quite sure. Yeah. Um, I'm, I mean, Maybe I'm not in their demographic, but I certainly am not seeing body shop adverts yeah. pushed to me on social media. And um, it's interesting that when we see these businesses like um, come out with these announcements around their their struggles, it's it's rarely a surprise. Is that unfair to say? Mm. The brands no, I think and you the hit types. The nail on the head yeah, there. it's rarely a surprise. So. Um, Again, we talked last week about the strategies of growth and diversification and all the different things that they could or should be doing. And often it's just lack of a proper, decent strategy to to move themselves back in the right direction, isn't it? Because ironically, the body shop, of course, was founded um, by somebody who was so passionate, uh, a lady who was so passionate about um, environmentally um, friendly products that don't harm animals. Mm. And that's so on trend now that you would think a business like this really should be um, like a trendsetter and, yeah. and leading the way, but yeah. they've just been overtaken by, I mean, I want to bring Lush into it, but I don't think Lush are doing much better either. But yeah, it's and another similar business. Lush was, but... was, the, was the guy that launched Lush was involved in Body Shop. I don't know if he owned it or what it was, but I was mm. reading about this. That, that was the springboard. He said Lush just wouldn't have existed without Body Shop. And, um, you know, it's interesting to see what's going to happen with them next, I guess, because why is their business model any different? It would be the question. Yeah, I think um, that obviously they've got a few different ranges, haven't they? They've got like their um, ranges of, say, like skincare and bath care and things like that. I mean, it shows how much I'm into body shop because I don't even can't really describe what they do. But they've got these ranges. Isn't and you that the think, problem well, in itself? The fact you can't yeah, articulate it, exactly <laughs> what their offer to the market is. Yeah. And to be honest, I probably would be I would expect I would be their core demographic. Um, but what, what, the makeup ranges that. Yeah, just clean. I have a bath every day. Um the core demographic of like the the skincare ranges like moisturizers and and bath and shower gel and things like that you know are people are they responding to the cost of living crisis and the fact that do people want to go and spend an extortionate amount of money on shower gel anymore and when it comes to makeup they're not really doing the trend setting things that you're seeing the companies like Rimmel and Mac and Bobby Brown and all these kinds of companies coming out with so, so they're, they're really just struggled middle aren't not they you've differentiating got, yeah, themselves yeah, you've got you kind of B&M at the bottom probably flooded with people buying their toiletries and various other things. And you've got those brands mm-hmm. at the top and it's that struggled middle that is always difficult because it's outside of those two niches uh, at the bottom and the top. So you see that a lot yeah. then, uh, when, when, when economies struggle um, very, very slightly. But um, I guess we should um, uh, also touch on inflation, inflation remaining the same uh, this month. That just came out uh, steady at 4%. And I guess Let's just say that can only be a good thing for people because it just we just need some stability. So um, that's worth worth mentioning as well this week, and it'll be interesting to see what that means for um, interest rates. And I guess you also spoke to me this morning about the technical recession that we're now in, with two quarters of um, negative growth as well. Which again, I guess the bank are going to not want that to continue for much longer. So um, so yeah. Plenty to talk about this week in the news, but Body Shop, I think, is uh, is an interesting one specifically for business owners and actually brings us quite nicely onto our uh, subject of the week or our deep dive of the week, which is cash or out. 
So uh, this is to do with a video that you've recently done on your YouTube channel. Again, take a look at it. It's fantastic. And it's really timely because I know you've been working with one of your clients who's reaching a, shall we say, certain age, uh, has a, uh, a reasonable sized um, business, seven figure business, um, and is really at that dilemma stage of how do I get out of it? How do I exit it? And we see this all the time. Um, and you talk about two options. We're going to obviously cover exits of business, you know, lots of times on the podcast in the future. So we're going to really focus just on these two options this week, which is somebody says to you, I want the cash or I just want out. So tell us a bit about what you've, what, 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 what you've been following on that side of things, Claire. Yeah, so it's a very um, sort of sobering thing to come to terms with that we are all going to die one day. So even if we all have no intention of selling our business or ever needing to leave through sickness or anything like that, you know, we will we will pass away and the business is a legal entity, so it will continue. So even as a, a business owner, no matter your age, when I start working with any client, that's probably the first conversation that I have with them is what is your plan? Um, it seems that the only people that really think about exiting their business are the people that say, I want to sell it. So they have this long-term goal in mind of building a business to sell or they're retiring. And there doesn't seem to be this middle ground of people thinking, oh, I might want to retire one day. So what do I need to do? And they end up in the situation where they're stuck because they haven't built a business that allows them to exit. So it's incredibly important. Um, and regardless of whether you're running a business for, um, you know, profitable purposes and to have a good life or whether you're you're building a business to exit, actually, the, the strategy is pretty much the same. You need a really good team and you need a really sound, profitable business. And if you follow those two concepts, then you'll have a really good financial life and you will then be able to exit your business. Actually, there's a, there's a really good follow-up video to this that you just launched as well, which is all about, um, it's that's more about the personal transition, isn't it, from you know, the operator of your business through to the leader and ultimately the investor of your business and therefore understanding in, you know, in, in you know, in a real deep way what you need, you, you need your business to become to be saleable. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so I have started working with a client um, who has just turned 60 and wants to sell their business um, and or wants to think about retiring. And we kind of looked at the three options and we were like, well, the people in your business are not capable of stepping up. You've got a business full of B players. They're great people. They turn up every day and they do a fantastic job, but they they are not in line for promotion, let's say. Tell, tell me a bit about, you You say B players because you know what that means. Tell me a bit about what you mean mm -hmm. when you say B play, a team of B players. So your A players are going to be the people that take your business to the next level. And in any business, you want a couple of A players and then the rest of them, you want to be B players. So your A players, they're going to be your disruptors. They're going to come in. They're going to be like little balls of energy with loads of ideas. They can be constantly pushing for the next thing. But also they've got the ability to think strategically. They're not thinking about their day-to-day -day tasks. They're thinking about doing the right thing for the future of the business. So um, whereas your B players, they're thinking about what they need to do on a day-to-day -day basis yeah. and they tend to be experts at what they do. Um, and they tend to have a lot of knowledge about their specific role and how they fit into the business. Now, one is not more valuable than the other because you can't have a business built on A players or B players. You need both. Yeah. They're all cogs in cogs in the wheel that get the whole thing moving. Yeah. Like that, yeah. 
Um, so yeah, I, I started working with this company and, um, the, the owner, he said to me, he said, I've, I'm an accidental business owner, which I thought was quite funny because we, we obviously <laughs> are in the property industry as well. Yeah. yeah we talk about accidental landlords all the time, but he, um, yeah, he was made redundant and, um, uh, because the business that he was working for folded and he, um, contacted the clients from that business um it's about 18 years ago now and he convinced those clients to move with him and he set up his own business and it's sort of flown from there and he's now turning over multi-seven figures wow i mean Um, isn't that amazing from a what you quote-unquote accidental business owner i mean let's be honest that's exactly why we're here doing this isn't it claire it's exactly why you do the youtube channel it's exactly why we started profit cash growth because we recognize that very, very few people. It's a bit like parenting. You don't start a business and they're given this huge guidebook as to here's all the things that you need to do to have a perfectly run business. Actually, you know, let's remember those stats. You know, 90% of businesses will fail within a 10 year period. You know, that is the mm. reality. It's really hard, really, really hard. And and actually, if you can make smarter decisions day in, day out, then you know your business will grow. People, people often say to me, how give me the secret sauce. How have you done this? How have you grown a business to the market leader within such a short space of time when, you know, a hundred others can't? And there is no silver bullet. There never is in anything we do. I always put it down to the same old things, which is absolute consistency, determination, and managing your business from the numbers. You know, you really need to know your financial numbers and know your your KPI metrics as well in your business because, you know, that, that gets focused on and that, that gets measured gets done. It's really funny that you say that, actually, because this stuck in my mind when I first started uh, working with this business. They have a bookkeeper that works full time in the business. um, And I asked them what their turnover was. And the number that they quoted to me, I thought, that's that's not the number that I'm seeing on your bookkeeping system. And the bookkeeper had wrongly thought that the number, the sales number on the on the finance system that they use included VAT. So every time they were talking about their turnover, they had thought that they were 20% wow. smaller than they were. Wow. So they didn't even realize the scale of their own business. Um, wow. And I think to just not have information, you know, vital information like your turnover, um, that would be the number one number that every business owner should know. But then when it really came down to starting to look at some of the data, you know, we looked at, for example, um, looking at where some of their sales were coming from and, you know, 50% of their um, customers, when you start looking at the count of customers, so the number of unique customers that they have, um, 50% of their customers accounted for like 2% of their turnover. So they were doing humongous amounts of work for these really small, tiny customers Mm. that were generating zero profit for their business. So when you really start to get into the numbers and you see the value that the numbers can have in your business, it can, it can totally change it. So now we've got a proper sales strategy. Um, we've got a way of managing key accounts. Um, we've got a strategy for doing business development and all of this has come out of looking at those numbers. Yeah. Yeah. You've got an interesting, um, saying on your website about a plane. Um, I can't remember it now, a plane that, um, is just off course by a few degrees can end up landing tens of thousands of miles off its destination. I think it's just a a fantastic analogy because I, I always say to people, you know, it's that compound of tiny little smart decisions in your business that if you had made slightly different, slightly wrong, take that 
trajectory of that business in a completely different direction. And so, you know, people say that education is expensive, but I think every business out there should have a line on their P&L for training, upskilling, education, because, you know, try ignorance or try your business not growing or try being one of the 90% that just doesn't make it, you know, it's not worth it. Yeah. And the thing is, is when I think when you're getting started, then you need to make these big leaps forward when you're starting out and you're a a small six figure business and it's just you, you can't focus on the 1% things. You need to focus on the things that, that significantly move your business forward. But once you have become an established business and you're sort of doing six, uh, sorry, seven figures and above, then you do need to start thinking about those things that just move the dial by one and 2%. Because if you can get if you can get just 1% every month, then you're going to be 12% ahead at the year end. Yeah. And 12% yeah. of a million, for example, becomes quite significant, doesn't it? Yeah, but yeah. it's a, it is a big shift from being what I would say is a micro business to a small business. And I think that um, some business owners really struggle to make that shift and um, gear themselves and their decision making and their processes and the way that they run their business. They, they're not able to dial that up to the next level and think like a CEO. Yeah. They are still thinking like a micro business yeah. owner that needs to hustle think, and focus on the big leaps. I think you know that you're dumbing, dumbing that down saying some business owners. I think that's that the majority of people will and and so they should struggle with that you know moving moving up that dial is you know it's a completely different skill set and you know unless you put the time into moving yourself with that then it's of course it's a tough ride it's a square plug round hole type of thing anyway i think we've disappeared off on a tangent here um which again will a lot of these subjects will cover over over the weeks in in a bit more depth but i think i've got the gist of where we are here so cash if i want the cash i need to get my business ready for sale if i want to walk out and i want to get the cash for my business i want it to be sellable then i need to structure my business to work without me in it um i was again just it's not really a tangent but i was listening to a podcast with them uh, an American finance person, Cody Sanchez. And I just took some notes on what she said about buying businesses. She buys a lot of businesses. And she said that, again, same old stats, 90% of businesses are worthless. And they're worthless, she said, for, two, for, for three reasons. Number one, their books are no good, so you can't get a loan to buy it. Number two, they're micro-level deals. Nobody else wants them. And, and nobody else wants to buy a job for 60 or 70,000 pound a year. And when she's talking in American dollars, that would be 30 grand a year in in, in, in the UK. And then other reasons is they don't make enough money. Nobody wants a business. Again, the books are really messy. Um, and then just not big enough for an institution. It's almost a reverse of the same reason. So if you can, you know, take those constraints and build them into your business, then you could get yourself to a place where it's sellable to an investor. Yeah. And I think that particularly for small businesses where the business owner is sitting in an MD position, they often wrongly assume that whoever buys their business is going to come and sit in that MD's chair every day and do their job. Yeah. And, and that's love not it the like case. they love it, you know. Yeah. yeah. And whoever buys their business will want to replace them. And as the MD, you might be on a salary of maybe 40 or 50 grand with some dividends at the end of the year, if you're lucky. Whereas to put a capable MD in at that position now, a general manager, you know, reality, by the time you've got bonus, car, pension, everything else on top, employers, national insurance, you're, t- you're talking six figures to put an MD in a business yeah. now. Yeah. So is there even enough profitability to support that? And when you take um, that into account as well, that that's probably a, a key thing when it comes to the finances, when you're preparing your business for sale is actually, are your finances clean? Do you have an experienced bookkeeper or accountant in your business that knows what they're doing? Um, 
And often when businesses come to the sales stage, you might have somebody interested in your business, but actually the price that you end up getting paid is far lower than you expected because your yeah. books just are not perhaps accurately reflecting the true value of your business. Yeah, you picked up on, on something there as well. I just hate it when small business owners do this, when they, they say that their, their business makes X profit, but they haven't taken their salary out of it. Yeah. But yet they're putting 80 hours a week into the into the business and actually to replace them, not only in the number of hours they're doing, but then obviously, you know, people don't care as much as they will ever care about their own business. So that 80 hours is probably three people to replace. So, yeah, it's about understanding how truly profitable you are as a business and making sure you're accounting for all the real costs to, to be able to properly cash out of it. Yeah. But the concept of cash and out, the reason why I spoke to it is because when I started working with this business owner, he said to me, I want to sell my business. And I said, well, okay, you're 60 now. When do you want to retire? And he said in six months. And I kind of looked at him and I said, well, don't expect to get a penny for your business then. And I think that's what a lot of business owners overlook because, you know, if you haven't been through the acquisition process and, and purchased a business before, you don't really understand how it works and what investors will be looking yeah. for. So I can understand why you see all these things, particularly on Google and YouTube, people saying these no money down deals, buy businesses for, for peanuts and things like that. And um, actually, most of these no money down deals where businesses are sold for nothing is because the business owner needs to or wants to exit the business quickly and they just yeah. want a shot of the liability. So if you want to get out of your business quickly, then in most instances, you need to be prepared to just walk away from your business yeah. with no money. Do you know what? The problem is, um, is, as an investor, I would be looking at that person and that would be ringing alarm bells. This guy wants to run away from his business that he's been involved in for so many years. What's the liability he's trying to leave me with? And that, that would worry me. It's not a, a, a great a great way to do it. Yeah, but I mean, I know I started my own business, not just for the love of my business, but I was a bit disillusioned with having a boss anymore. So the thought of somebody else owning my ass, if you like, and telling me what to do in my business every day, I, I wouldn't be able to stick around for that, I don't think. So I can I can see why business owners don't want to hang around when there's yeah, a new owner. Okay. You know, the new owner is going to do everything you've ever dreamt about doing in your business. This new owner is going to come in and do it and probably far better than you ever could. And it's going to be quite hard to take, especially if you're at retirement stage, because it's like you spent your whole life building something that somebody's now taken over and completely revolutionized beyond how you recognize it yeah. so it's a very emotional thing and that is the out the out section so you know the reality is if you're not in that place where you can just either just let it go for nothing to somebody and just walk away from it the other option is the out option which is you know you're tied to the mm. business on an earn out for one two three even five years and and that's again not achieving what you want it to achieve not always. I mean, some people, particularly if you think about exiting your business early enough, then you, you've you've got plenty of options to do this and you've got time to find the right buyer that you're comfortable working with and things like that. But yeah, that's how you get the best payout for your business with small businesses is you need to stay in that business for an agreed period of time and manage that transition. And your final payout is often based on the EBIT that the business has achieved over your earnout yeah. period. So if you agree to stay for five years, then you're you can actually you can benefit from this new owner in the business having probably more experienced contacts and possibly deeper pockets than you ever had so you can actually grow the business more than you would have done 
and then you can benefit from a higher payout at the end true, of it too. True, true. And I mean, you missed the two big reasons there, energy and enthusiasm. I mean, somebody that's run out their business, the same business for many, many years, they've lost all energy and enthusiasm. It's the main reason most of them will walk away and not get a penny for it because they just want out. They're done with it. They, you just want to throw it out. So actually the idea of somebody coming in and having that brand new energy and enthusiasm for five years might catapult the business and give them a bigger earnout that works for them. So mm. there is that. And do you know what, actually, when I work with small business owners, that's probably the number one compliment that I get the most. It's not my amazing financial clarity that I give them or fantastic reports or anything like that that they get from me. They always say, oh, I feel like I'm finally in love with my business again. Like I'm I'm energized and optimistic about it. And so it's really interesting when you see somebody come in with, Mm. like you say, just a fresh pair of eyes, what what that can do. The amount of people that's tough being at the top on your own. Yeah, the amount of people that need just need a wake up call after I mean five years is a long time, I I always thought. Um well, I still, still do. I think five years, you can start to get stale. You need somebody to come in and just whip things around. In an ideal world, you'd change all your staff every five years and you'd just bring that new energy enthusiasm and try and keep some of the experience there as well. But it's very difficult to run a business like that. People people get complacent. It's just human nature that that's, that's the way that, that it goes. So great. Mm. I mean, look at CEOs at the top. They typically, they do three to five year stints in businesses. They come in, they implement their growth ideas you know it's like a little whirlwind and then they sail off into the sunset with their nice payouts and the new ceo comes along so yeah it's obviously not not practical to do that in a small business no. but it, there's definitely some merit in it that's why they, they sort of average they say the average um, useful term of a ceo is about five years because they it's long enough to execute a new strategy but it's not too mm. long to become stale in in the business well interesting stuff as always claire uh, cashing out check it out on the youtube channel if you want to see a little bit more detail about that and uh, let's move on to this week's profit cash growth profit cash growth extra so this week what nifty tool have you got for us claire i know this already which is why i'm laughing <laughs> so don't roll your eyes at me when I say this. Uh, I use an accounting piece of software called ClearBooks. Now, ClearBooks is like an equivalent of zero. Sorry, did you say QuickBooks? Something like that. ClearBooks. <laughs> no, I know. Why are you uh, recommending the uh, smallest uh, accounting system? Well, firstly, one of the things I really like about ClearBooks is it's written in non-accounting language um, and it's really, really simple and straightforward to navigate around. But something that is in ClearBooks that I don't come across in the other platforms, either in such an easy way to use or is in the other platforms at all sometimes, is the um, cash flow reporting that is available in ClearBooks. So Often the systems can tell you, you know, oh, you paid money to this supplier and you paid money to that supplier. But there is a report in ClearBooks, which I think can be gold dust sometimes for um, business owners. So it tells you exactly where your money has gone. So from that, I mean, it's like in in the last quarter, how much money did you pay in VAT? How much did you pay in wages? How much did you um, spend buying fixed assets you can see just broken down into these nice little categories exactly where your cash is going in and out of your business and you might think well I know how much I'm spending already from my P&L but the difference with this cash flow report is that it tells you exactly when the money is hitting your bank account which can be different from your P&L. Do you think for most business owners that you may be already three or four steps ahead talking about cash flow you mentioned I already know where my uh, my money's going from my P&L but how many times have we come across businesses who actually know where the money's going because they check the bank every day? The worst thing you could possibly do. 
Yeah, I mean, look, everybody's got to start somewhere. So at the end of the day, if you are doing anything and checking any of your finances in any way, it's a good start. Um, but of course, there are lots of other things you can do. Often, cash flow, I would say, is more important than profit when it comes to small business because if you're not, it doesn't matter how much profit you generate. If you can't turn that into cash, then you're probably going to go under. Um, so, from that perspective, having visibility of your cash flow actually can be a number one step that business owners can take to help them make more informed decisions. Like a business I was working with, they they thought that they were spending a lot more money on investments into assets and marketing than they actually were because they negotiated such good terms and they had asset finance and things like that. So they were like, oh, well, we, you know, we don't have cash in the bank because we've done X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, well, actually, that's not the case. Let's have a look yeah. at this report. You don't have cash in the bank because your customers aren't paying you quick enough. Wow. Great. So that's clear books, uh, as it's spelled. Yeah, clear books. Clear books, Brilliant. yeah. Okay. My absolute check out, favorite. Check out software. clear books. Um I I would second that. I use it for my businesses. I find it very simple as a non-finance person, which I think is important um, because most of us are indeed non-finance people. So thanks, Claire, for another uh, week. Very insightful stuff. As always, people can find you profitcashgrowth.com, the YouTube channel, Profit Cash Growth. Where else can they find you? Twitter, TikTok, LinkedIn, all of Facebook. Them. All of them. Great. All of them. And you've you've come up with, um, you've got a new tool on your website, haven't you? Uh, an, a, an assessment, I believe. Can you just tell us, if it's free, isn't it, for people to do? Can you just tell us a bit about why, you know, who, who should be doing that, why they would do it and what the benefits are? So we have had a uh, new website launch, actually. It should be live this week. So if you are listening to this, do check it out and let me know what you think. Um, and included in that, there is a tool called the Profit Cash Growth Assessment. And the aim of it, um, like Simon says, it's a free tool. And you can take this as a business owner. And what it will do is just help pinpoint some of your blind spots. So it can give you some ideas whether potentially you're not managing the operations, the profit, the cash flow of your business. And maybe if there's opportunities for you to grow your business that you might be missing too. So it just help point out some of your blind spots. Um, and then it will also give you some insights as to how you can immediately improve them. Amazing. Sounds good. And why wouldn't you do it if it's free? How long will it take? Less than five minutes. Less than five minutes. Fantastic. Uh, we'll put a link to the assessment in the show notes and uh, we'll put links to all of the other elements where you can uh, interact with Claire and see Claire in her business, Profit Cash Growth. And we'll see you again next week. See you guys.